The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Time Heist. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also be sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I encourage you to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some really good listener feedback. This is a fun one. And well, they're always fun, but this was particularly fun. And I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy. We, the Secrets of Star Trek. Yes, the three of us also discuss Star Trek in a podcast. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash trek. But today we're talking about Time Heist. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? Okay, so this is a caper plot, and as a result, it is unexpected, or not unexpectedly for a caper plot, but it is quite complex. So here we go. The Twelfth Doctor, Clara, and a couple of loners named Cy and Cybra have agreed to rob the most impenetrable bank in the universe for someone called the Architect. Only they don't know why they agreed, because they also agreed to have their memories wiped. Sai is a man with brain implants, so he's got a data system built into his head, and he's a loner because he deleted his memories of everyone he loved in order to protect them. Cybra is a mutant who takes on the appearance of everyone she touches. She's a loner because her transforming ability keeps her from having human contact. When they get to the bank planet, they use their abilities to break in, but there are obstacles in the way. One of these is the head of bank security, Mrs. Delfox, who has a telepathic mind-wiping monster known as the Teller. Bank Teller, get it? Another obstacle is that they don't know what the plan is, and they realize the reason they don't and the reason their memories were wiped was to keep the Teller from discovering them because it's a telepath. Instead, the architect has left clues and tools for them to use in the bank. As they follow the trail of clues and tools, the Doctor realizes that the architect is in the future, making this not just a bank heist, but a time travel bank heist. Eventually, everything becomes clear. Sai and Cybra agreed to the heist so they could get cures from inside the bank that will fix the conditions making them loners. When they get to the bank's private vault, they meet the head of the bank, Director Kara Braxos, who is an evil woman. She uses clones of herself, like security manager Mrs. Delfox, and then kills the clones when they fail her. She also has the teller, the last of its race, enslaved to her. A solar storm is destroying the bank, and the doctor gives director Karabraxos his phone number, revealing the fact he's a time traveler. As Karabraxos is leaving to avoid the solar storm, the doctor tells her to call him when she's old and dying and full of regret. We then learn that this is what brought the doctor and Clara here. Before their memories were wiped, Director Karabraxas did call the doctor and told him of a specific regret of hers that he could fix. The doctor then became the architect and set up the whole thing. 
And the regret he came to fix was the fact that the teller really isn't the last of its race. Carabraxus enslaved the teller by keeping its mate hostage. So the doctor frees the teller's mate and releases the two of them on a pristine world where they can be the new Adam and Eve of their species. The end. You're right. That was complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It was enjoyable, though. And I noticed Stephen Moffat was co-author on this episode. And Mm -hmm. normally that means bad episode. When you mm-hmm. see the showrunner given a given a co-writing credit because it suggests that the original episode was so bad that the showrunner had to step in to fix it. But in this case, I think it worked really well. This really scratches Stephen Moffat where he itches with this timey-wimey stuff. And I enjoyed it. I, I thought this was a fun episode. I thought, it, I, th- I, I thought it's one of the best of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly much better than a certain moon-oriented episode that's coming uh, up. Oh, boy. Uh. Oh, I can't believe we have to talk about that. Uh, let's not think about to, that for now. I was going to say it's coming before. We're just going to do the last uh, time we talked about it and just move on. Uh, but yeah, can I get a memory worm, please? Yeah, can I get a memory worm? No, I agree with Jimmy. This, I mean, this is well written and very much, uh, uh, and it, it actually holds together pretty well. You know, I, I, I don't. I seem to recall when I watched it the first time, I wasn't the biggest fan of it, uh, but this time definitely, I, 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 it, I appreciate it more. Let's just put it that way in comparison to the others yeah yeah <laughs> i i remember what I, uh, that at the time thinking that so the thing that stands out to me in this episode is is the group of characters we've got the doctor clara mm-hmm. Cy, and cypra who the doctor dubs team not dead because mm-hmm. they managed to avoid dying and i thought they were an interesting enough group that they could have i was in fact i was hoping they'd bring them back and do another adventure yeah, um, because I thought they worked very well as a group of characters together. And so I've always had a soft spot for Team Not Dead. We we also have the characteristic Moffat. Uh, I'm going to fake you out. They're dead, but they're not really dead moment. I yeah. just have to yes. point that out. That t- Stephen Moffat hates killing his characters, uh, but he wants you to think he's killing them. Uh, so I wanted to kind of look at this from the outside, knowing the whole plot of the story, because it is kind of a convoluted plot. That you only get revealed as you go along. But yeah, I think that's better anyway. Than, I yeah. mean, the whole point of having me summarize the plot at the beginning is so we don't have to walk through it step by step. Exactly. Right. So, so the doctor is getting this call from Mrs. Uh, Madame Carabraxos at the end of her life. And that's his first uh, connection to this whole thing that she has. What we've set up is a, is a bit of a time paradox, right? A, a, a causality yeah, paradox. One big cluster of bootstrap paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because she wouldn't call him unless they've already had this adventure, etc. And so he he knows that going into this, that she's going to have this regret at the end of her life. Is that is that what we're... He he de- he deduces it as he goes. Okay. Um, because he, he he's got these suppressed memories. And so right. on some level, he knows he's here because she's going to call him in the future, but he can't consciously remember that's why. Right. But it right. nudges him in the direction of giving her his phone number. OK. I but, must say that I really like the bit at the beginning because Clara is getting ready to go out on a date with Danny. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we've got a little bit of nice, you know, kind of comedy with that. And then the doctor once again beams the TARDIS into Clara's tiny bedroom. (laughs) So the TARDIS takes up almost the whole thing and she's getting ready and for this date that she's really looking forward to. And suddenly he's here 
and wants to drag her off through space and time. And as they're talking, the phone on the outside of the TARDIS rings, which like has almost never happened in the history of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very dramatic moment when that happens. And, and then... And, yeah. and and then she's she's like protesting and then all of a sudden they're sitting at this table holding these memory worms yep. right. which have actually shown up before mm-hmm. and they and they they realize their memories have all been wiped but and Clara of course is disgusted by the memory worm uh but then a a recording starts playing of their voices saying I'm the doctor and I agreed to this memory wipe of my own free will I'm Clara. I agree to the memory wife of my own free will. And and do I really have to touch that worm? <laughs> and and so they know from the beginning they agreed to this. They just don't know why now. Yeah. Right. So there's a couple of really fun things I want to yeah, yeah. back up and, and talk about, because one of the things that the, the, that's characteristic of this doctor, the 12th doctor so far, is He's very absent minded or at least non observant when it comes to people. You know, like, mm-hmm. why are you wearing heels? You have to get to reach a high shelf or something. Like, he just is not getting that she's going on a date, you know, that she's yeah. got makeup yeah. on and she's dressed up. And it's like, he's kind of like, like Asperger's, like someone who just doesn't get social cues and doesn't understand people. It's, yeah, he's, um, the, the 12th doctor, especially in the beginning, but really it goes throughout, doesn't under, there's been some kind of disconnect to where he doesn't understand human appearance anymore. And he doesn't, he, like, he thinks Clara is, is not attractive, which is, wow, is that not true? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, he thinks that, um, he thinks, he, he thinks her face is too wide. He thinks that when she puts, uh, makeup on her face it, it he doesn't understand what makeup is anymore it's like why is your face colored and all kinds of stuff like that right right and, and then i like her reaction when the phone rings because she knows she's been with the you know hanging out with the doctor long enough don't pick it up something will happen right well, what can happen and then that's where you get the boom memory wise well, they're sitting at the table holding yeah. memory worms <laughs> and yeah. those of us who hate talking on the phone doctor says well nothing ever happens when you answer the phone it's like yeah, it is. There's somebody on the <laughs> yes. other side that you really might not want to talk to right now. Yeah. Right. Well, especially that phone, because he mentions the, the the lady in the shop who the last time the phone rang, it was the lady in the shop, which was Missy. So yep. uh, as we know now. So, um, yeah. So and then they yeah, you mentioned they're, they're sitting at this table. They've got the memory worms. They have this this weird uh, hooded figure, the, the architect who uh, talking to them on video. Right. Mm-hmm. Brought them together. With, with a disguised voice. Yes. For an Ocean's Eleven style bank heist of the most secure bank in the galaxy, the Bank of Carabraxos, because, of course, it's the most secure bank in the galaxy. So I understand that Ocean's Eleven is probably the most famous caper heist plot mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. example in pop culture today. But it is far from the only one. Oh, sure. There are, oh, there are loads of caper heists. There are loads of caper plots. Um, Jack Finney, author Invasion of the Body Snatchers, wrote some caper stories. Um, there are other heist movies. Uh, this uh, Deep Space Nine did it as well when they mm-hmm. had to save Vic's Casino. All right. So this is so there's lots more caper goodness out there for people who are interested in it. I tend to like caper plots because they're inventive and they force you to think. And the plot is usually the thing that I'm most interested in, Mm -hmm. in what I'm watching. 
you could kind of call Die Hard a caper plot, although from the other side, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah. And, well, and that's a good point, because this is also not a usual caper plot. Usually what happens is the plan is explained to the audience before we see it put into action. And then we watch how the plan goes wrong and how the characters have to compensate for what's going wrong. In this time, the audience does not know what the plan is other than we're going to break in, mm-hmm. which is not a that's not a plan. That's that, you know, that's it's a goal. The goal. That's a goal. <laughs> um, and and the characters do not know what the plan is because they've had memory wipes mm-hmm. and they eventually give us a good reason for that. They can't know the plan because otherwise the teller would detect them. Right. Right. But uh, but it's it's another kind of interesting inversion on the usual caper plot where neither the characters nor the audience know what they're supposed to be doing. It all has to figure out, be figured out as they go. And you get the 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 one question that everyone will have right up front. They answer, you know, because Mm -hmm. the doctor himself, where's the TARDIS and why aren't we using it to break into the bank? Or maybe it's Clara who says that. But somebody asks that. And and Mm so. There's obviously, Clara. there's a reason for that, yeah. uh, that they can't do that. And they later tell us the reason is because there's this highly destructive solar storm that's going to basically destroy the bank. And that storm would interfere with the TARDIS because, of course, it would. Because, yep. of course, yes. Uh, so you mentioned these other people on the team. So Psy is an augmented human. He's got, uh, uh, you know, chips, computer chips and things like that in his head. And it makes him, uh, you know, he's obviously, so he's a hacker sort of character. Although he tries to pass as a gamer, right? <laughs> which which is totally plausible. I mean, I'm sure that I, we're going to have cybernetic implants. We already, I mean, Elon Musk is working on them. We have a primitive version of them now, and yeah, one of the first things people are going to do is hook it up to VR and do gaming. Well, yes. that's the whole principle of Ready Player One, the movie Ready Player movie and book. The book's better. Uh, Ready Player One is people basically get lose themselves in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then we have a mutant human shapeshifter named Sabra, and uh, and as a as a long as a back in the day, not a fan of current X Men, but as a back in the day fan of the X Men during the Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Paul Smith uh, era, um, I could not help but thinking of Sabra as a combination of Rogue and Mystique. Mm-hmm. Rogue has the ability to absorb powers from other people on touch. And it's involuntary. So Rogue has personal intimacy issues as well. She can't touch anybody without harming them. Right. And Rogue's foster mother, Mystique, is a shapeshifter. So Mm -hmm. this is okay. This is our this is Rogue and Mystique rolled into one character. Right. Right. What does she. Right. Because she touches someone. She absorbs it. She doesn't have a chance. Like a really a choice. She absorbs their shape. Right. yeah, yeah. DNA and everything, everything. And yeah. and and she she explains why she's a doctor to the loner in terms of well, what if you were trying to be intimate with someone and suddenly you're looking at yourself? And I'm thinking, for some people, I don't know that that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> there are some there are some narcissists out there. Yeah, I was going to say this is this is a, definitely a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 go to Hollywood probably. <laughs> so the uh, uh, the doctor. It's interesting the doctor doesn't recognize the species of the teller. Like it's he's, it's entirely new to him, which is unusual. The doctor is often the font of knowledge; he knows everything. Uh, but when he sees the teller, he it's like that's new to me. Uh, and it telepathically detects guilt, then mentally turns the brain of the subject into soup. And you have this body horror thing where oh wow, this is he, good body horror. Yeah, yeah. The, 
because not only is like the person's brain like gone, but they they have this con this, the skull goes concave, and uh, basically yeah. there's probably only a brain stem left, which their is- their their frontal lobe just collapses, and their skull collapses on the front, yep. and it the fact it's not even the whole head, just the front, it's like. Yep. Ooh, that adds to the creepiness of this. Yeah, it, does. it, it really is. And this is the last of the species, and that might be part of the reason why the doctor doesn't know about it, is it's a species that's all but extinct at this right. point. Or, now, obviously, he had to know about it in setting this up, so he's brain-wiped himself from it, and part of the reason he brain-wiped himself might be so that he wouldn't think about it too much. Mm-hmm. Right. If he, if he doesn't remember it. And she says something about... Um, this isn't the, the, all the punishment they're going to the let's see the your the next of kin of whoever tries to break into the bank will also be incarcerated like their guilt is biased by familial association uh as a further inducement to honest financial transactions she says guilt to the next generation that really works well yeah yeah i this was something i liked about this um it's it that's an example of a larger thing we have going on here and it's a meme that crops up regularly in doctor who which i think's work i think works well but basically it's the idea of a of a outwardly luxurious technological future that is inwardly corrupt so this is a monstrous luxury society mm-hmm. um and it's totalitarian but somehow prosperous i mean it, it, I can imagine laws like this being passed. In fact, we've had similar laws in human history. But it's like, wow, this is outwardly, this is this fantastic, gorgeous bank with all these people walking around in business suits and, you know, outwardly everybody looks prosperous. And and yet this is a monstrous bank. This is a monstrous situation with the teller being used to uh, to, to turn people's brains into soup and collapse their skulls. Mm. And and in particular, I I like Mrs. Miss Del Fox, the head of bank security, and the combination of characteristics that she personally embodies that reflect this luxury, futuristic, totalitarian mm-hmm. society that we're in. Because she part of it's her appearance; she's very attractive. She's wearing an attractive business suit. Part of it is her dialogue, and then part of it is her, is her acting, which is cheerful, businesslike, and evil. Yeah, right. And, and it's sometimes um, all at the same time. Yeah. So your uh, accounts are closed, and you're dead. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So the do- in order to set all this, so the doctor is the architect, and so in order to set all this up, he had to have opened an account earlier and put the the dimensional time shift bomb, which we'll talk about in a second in a, in the safe deposit box and all this and set all these things up throughout the bank. Mm-hmm. He broke in earlier. So why is he breaking in again? Because he, he got all this stuff all the way to where it all needs to go. So what, what's the point of this additional break in? Uh, apparently the first, the infiltration uh, break in that we never see except in little bitty flashbacks um, was to set up the exfiltration one. And so he didn't make it in the initial break-in. His goal was not to get all the way to the private vault and free the teller's mate. The goal was, with the infiltration uh, break-in, was to set up the exfiltration break-in so they could later create the bootstrap paradox that brings them here and get the teller and its mate out. 
Right, because right. he only needed the, the, the solar disturbance in order to get Madame Karabroxos to evacuate, because that was Correct. the final step. He needed her out of the way in order to get the teller and its mate out. Uh, but he couldn't, so he could have used the TARDIS to get to all these different places he needed to go within the bank pri- prior. Prior I to suppose. the solar storm, yeah. yes. Okay, okay, that's true. Okay. And, and meanwhile, so they get into this safety deposit box, this little room. And the doctor in in that room deduces, and I, I'm not clear how he makes this leap, that they're all there. Their inducement to do this job was getting the thing they want most in the universe. It felt like kind of a bit of a logical leap. Well, the the way I took that is we all have a very good reason for being here. and mm-hmm. And they could deduce that much from the fact they agreed to the memory wipe. Whatever it was, even though they don't know why they agreed, it must have been very convincing. Mm-hmm. And and then the doctor and this could be subconscious information bubbling up from the doctor's subconscious. But I even if it wasn't, it made a it it I could kind of go with it as a whatever we're here for. It must be something very valuable to each of us. So just imagine not that this will literally be what it is. Yeah. But just imagine, you know, some the thing you want most in the universe being in here. Okay. Well, and, and it turns I, I out could see it with, yeah. I could see it with the doctor himself. I mean, the, the doctor himself isn't going to go through something like this unless there's something he real, realizes is important, maybe not valuable, but important, important enough for him to do it. And so he, again, like I said, he deduced, okay, if I'm going to do this because it's something important, obviously these other people are as well. So. Right. Right. Uh, so they're, they're in this, this uh, safety deposit box room. Uh, hmm. And the, the, they get this uh, device out from the uh, the safety deposit box, and they they deduce that it's that it's a bomb of some sort, and uh, a, exploding a bomb in this little tiny room would be fatal if it's a regular bomb. Uh, and the doctor assumes it's not. Clara makes a good point, which is, well, what if we're just blowing up the floor for someone else? What if there's another team coming in behind us? <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, he he. He again deduces that it's a dimensional shift bomb, which is a, a nice little uh, did he, gag. Did he deduce that first? No, I, mean, before, I don't think he deduced it before they set it off. It was uh, afterwards. Because he kind of went, well, ah, dimensional shift bomb, and just laughs. That's what, it, what it does is it takes the molecules in the floor of the, uh, of the, of the vault they're standing in and shifts them into another dimension temporarily. So there's a hole in the floor, and they can all go down through the hole. And then um, the effect wears off. The atoms that have been shifted come back and there's no more hole in the floor. Mm-hmm. So when security rushes into into the room, they've got a locked room mystery on their mm-hmm. hands. There's nobody in the little vault anymore. Just right. And they don't know how any how the people they saw go in got out. Just hope that no one was in the uh, other dimension when it appeared. But <laughs> ouch, <laughs> most other dimensions are uninhabited. I know. So. There you go. There most. You go. <laughs> I do like the fact that when they first start this plan, because they've all had their memory wiped, uh, one of them asks the doctor, why are you in charge? And he says, uh, it's my superpower. Because <laughs> oh. the others have their superpower. Yeah, well, it's Cybra who asks that. And there's, yeah. a, there's a deliberate, you know, like X-Men superhero mutant reference there because right. she's a mutant. It's like, why are you in charge? It's my superpower. What's yours? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and then in the, in, in, the, uh, in the safety deposit room, it's Sai who says, I still don't understand why you're in charge. And the doctor in this case says, basically, it's the eyebrows. 
That was fun. Uh, so they get into this this service quarters of the bank. That's what's below the safety deposit room. Um, and he he makes this comment about like the fact that the more they know about why they are there, like as they learn more about why they're in the in the the bank, the louder their guilt screams uh, to the to the teller to come to come get them. You know, the, so they have to. So at one point he wants the sigh uh, to open the next case so that he can look in it and then erase his memory of it if he needs to, because he's the only one who can actually erase his memory on his own. And uh, it turns out it's, he has no idea what it is. And it's these uh, devices that the doctor kind of, he kind of lies, he lies twice, uh, you yeah. know, twice over mm-hmm. about what they are. Well, he he first lies that saying he doesn't know what they are either. And Cybra immediately detects that's a lie. And later, when she's talking to the doctor about it, he asks, how did you know? And she says, well, I've worn a lot of faces, so I'm good at reading them, which makes no sense. Right. <laughs> Be- I mean, even if you have one face, you see a lot of other faces. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how you learn what what when other people are li- how to detect lying from looking at someone's manner. But he he lies about that because he, he implies to her that they're suicide devices that they're dimensional shredders that will rip apart the atoms in your body so that you have a painless death. Yes. And I I think that's what he believes they are Mm -hmm. because of the mind wipe. We later learn they're teleporters and there's a, there's like a rescue ship up in orbit that has the TARDIS on it. And this will just take you up there. Yep. He, so I, I assume what happened is he made teleporters to look like suicide devices. So he Mm -hmm. would think they were, um, perhaps as part of the plan so that none of them before using the devices would know that they had a, they had an escape route right. and thus the teller couldn't detect that part of their plan. Right. That's true. Right. What I did notice as soon as they showed us what's in the case is there are six of them mm-hmm. and there are only four members of team dead. Other people yeah. are going to be using these. Yes, exactly. Um, so and the other two who did ended up being the teller and its mate. Yes. Uh, at one point, Sai tells Clara why he's there, which is uh, or it, it's the the reason we will find out is the reason he's there is that he because he could do a, his own memory delete deletion. He wants deleted memory of all of his family and friends so that when he was going to jail, uh, they couldn't find them just because we found out people in this place their their relatives and friends will get in, put in jail mm-hmm. for crimes that you commit. So he deleted the memories of all of them, but that means he ha- he's alone. He has no one. And so he's yeah. looking for something that will help him recover those memories. He hasn't learned uh, uh, the backup strategy, three, two, one backup yeah. strategy. It's like, <laughs> right. Come on, keep it in the cloud. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, one thing I really like in that is when he's describing how he deleted his memories and explaining even his family and stuff, Clara is like, even your family? And he's like, no, duh. They were the first people I deleted. I don't want them hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Of course, my family. Uh, and and it, I like, she, how could you do that? I don't know. I suppose I must have loved them. You know, it's like, well, yeah. duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they, they end up stumbling on the, the teller's uh, cage and it, it locks. <laughs> Ooh, wow. It's yeah, the <laughs> worst place to stumble into. And they, uh, they lock, uh, it, it locks onto Sabra. And that's when the doctor gives her gives her the what they think is a, the atomic shredder, 
And it uh, uh, teller's cage is what you call their station at a bank. Right. The teller's cage. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> yep. yep, yep. <laughs> That's good. I totally missed that. Um, uh, and uh, so she ends up uh, disintegrating, quote unquote, disintegrating herself or transporting herself rather than have her brain turn to soup. But it's but they think they're dying. They think they're committing suicide mm-hmm. as they activate these devices. So, so they will no- need to go to confession afterwards. Yes. Be- yes, because you're doing this not really? knowing why. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, Clara gets later wrong. So, okay, so I kind of jumped ahead. So the- then they get down a tunnel and they find the private vault. And this is what they're trying to get into. And this is now Sai's turn. He has Sabra's role was to assume, I, well, we kind of skipped that, was to assume the appearance of uh, a client a of the bank. Yeah. Right. So that she'd already fulfilled her role. Now, Sai's role is to hack into the private vault's lock and get it open so they can get in there and get whatever it is they're supposed to get. And at the same time, the teller is now loose in the tunnels, chasing them down, and they, in the doctor and Clara uh, scatter to kind of draw it off from Sai. Yeah, they, he, the doctor says we need to split up so that it will it will will dilute our guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they're all together, there's a big cluster of telepathic guilt all in one <laughs> spot. The teller knows where to go. But if there's right. three spots of vaguer guilt with two of them roaming around, the teller is not sure where to go and is going after Clara. Although the obvious thing to do would be go to the stationary one. It'll be easier to grab. Mm. <laughs> right, right. Uh, now, but Clara is the one who gets caught. Now, what if you're not guilty, though? I mean, what if you don't feel guilt for doing for what this? Yeah, you you, you know, <laughs> what if you feel you know righteous for doing this? Would that throw them <laughs> off? No. It, well, it depends on how the telepathy works. Um, but if it, what it may be is fear of getting caught. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fear is maybe the thing it's sniffing. That's out. probably the better better word than guilt because that's a very different thing. I mean, if you think about it, it's it's in some ways a better version of the Minotaur in that really awful episode uh, mm-hmm. that we talked about not long ago. Yeah, God Complex. God it, Complex. All, it, worst episode ever. <laughs> Kill the Moon is pretty bad, but yeah, it's... Uh, oh, no. We, Kill the Moon is bad. The God <laughs> Complex is offensive. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. That, that Maybe we'll do a special episode someday. The worst episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> that could be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Clara gets caught by the teller, and so Sai ends up deciding to sacrifice himself to draw it out as a juicier morsel. He has more guilt, apparently, uh, and uh, sacrifices and to, himself. And to juice that guilt, he um, he shows images uh, which presumably represent things he is downloading or has previously downloaded into his memory center of all these villains. Mm-hmm. Um and or people who would be regarded as villains from a certain point of view, including uh, another character from a uh, televised Doctor Who, who I gather appeared on Torchwood, um, mm-hmm. which I never watched. So mm-hmm. I don't know who that character really is, but apparently there is a Torchwood character in there. And there is a character in the mon- very rapid montage we see of an, a character from the Doctor Who comics. Um, it's a character named Absalom Dak, uh, who is a Dalek killer, um, major aliases, the destroyer, the pitiless terror, the arch horror. And he apparently kills Daleks. Uh, I don't know why that would make him a villain except to the Daleks. 
but he he apparently fits the profile that Sai is using, and so they flash a picture of him, even though he's from uh, from spinoff media and not even Big Finish. It's just the comics. Hmm. So others that he that we see are a sensorite from the first Doctor's uh, time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see someone called Androvax from the Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh, the Gunslinger, Captain John Hart, Skaldak the Time Warrior, a Slitheen, a Weevil, and the Trickster from the Sarah Jane Adventures. So no, no uh, Sabalon Glips. <laughs> he should be in there. That would he should bad. be in there. He would have been a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, what, so they, why would a Weevil be a villain? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. It's I assume these are not the weevils we have on Earth that are just little bugs. No, no, not a bull weevil. I don't think. Um, they should have had J- Captain Jack in there. Uh, Hart- Harkness, you know, that would have been because mm-hmm. he's a bit of a criminal. Or uh, River Song would have been fun too. Well, the problem River with Captain Song Jack would be is fun. Captain Jack wouldn't have had any guilt <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> Captain yeah. Jack would be like fully proud of doing it. That's right. That's right. Uh, so they get into the vault, uh, and the doctor now is, and there's Madame Carabraxos, and we realize that she is identical to the Mrs. Delfox, or Ms. Delfox, and, uh, apparently she's not married, and, uh, the whole cloning thing that she, clo- that we, we figured that out, um, and, and, and her logic is, well, who else are you going to trust but clones for your, of yourself for security? And I'm going, okay. If you're ambitious enough to become the the richest person in the universe, which we're later told she is at this point Mm -hmm. in her life, if you're that ambitious and you clone yourself, your clones are going to be just as ambitious. And guess what? They can easily replace you. Yeah. If you if you're if you're if you're if you're killing them and, and, and burning them in an incinerator, that would motivate them to replace you. And remember, they have your ambition and your genetic code. Right. Right. Uh, and I did and kind of, your your appearance, although yeah. I can imagine in the future they might, for security reasons, they might do gene editing on yeah. the clones so that they couldn't pass a genetic test as you. Uh, and, that's good. And, and by the way, it's a good time to mention the fact that they put the pun in about being fired, because I, I took it that they didn't actually kill the clones. They just threw the clones in the furnace, and that's how they died. Right. Fired with pain, I think she says. <laughs> yeah, fired with pain, uh, yeah. I did skip over the when they they found the inducements for Sai and uh, Sabra. Uh, they they had a card that that had locations in various areas of uh, safety deposit boxes. Technology two five one had something called a neophyte circuit, which uh, reboots any system, replacing any lost data. I would love to have one of those. That it's an undelete useful. program. It's an undelete yeah. program. Yeah, universal undelete. Um, and then Sabra's has a gene suppressant that would allow her to be normal uh, and not have that mutation anymore. And uh, so that was their uh, inducements. So uh, the, and doctor- the last location on the card is PV, PV for private vault. Right. So the doctor goes into the private vault and they have this uh, um, confrontation with the architect. And, with I mean, lots of set with lots of set dressing from the BBC props department. Oh yes. To have- <laughs> You've got an Egyptian mummy uh, sarcophagus that looks like King Tut's, only it's not. We've yep. got various statues from, so basically, BBC prop loot. <laughs> right. Or should they just the- go, didn't just go into the, the, the prop room and just use that? Just film it in there, it up right? a little bit? No. <laughs> I, think, I think I saw the Venus de Milo in there, too. It, it might have been. But by um, the way, you said architect instead of 
Calibraxis. Instead of Calibraxis. That's right. Calibraxis. Uh, but what he does figure out is that the architect is in the future, and therefore this is a time heist that the that they've been sent. You know, we to have the past. a title. Yep. Yes. Uh, the uh, the they get captured, and uh, but it turns out that they are within these uh, armor, which I think I gathered they protect the, this armor protects the guards from the te- the tellers' mental attacks. Um, no, so we should we should clarify who we're talking about here. So. Yeah. Clara and the doctor get yep. captured. Yes. And they're being guarded by these guards who we've previously seen in the background, like restraining the teller with chains and stuff so it can't yeah. just go wild. And the guards are wearing armor that covers their heads. Although in this case, one of the guards is not wearing a helmet and is this, you know, middle aged guy uh, who's bald and has a beard. And the other is keeping his helmet on. And. Del Fox yeah. takes the teller and says, I have to take it to its hibernation now. So and so take care of these people for me. Take take care of Clara and the doctor, meaning kill them. Mm-hmm. And so she leaves with the teller, leaving the doctor and Clara alone with the two guards who then back them up against a wall. And the doctor is like trying to plead and bargain with the two guards. And one of the guards says, you're really kind of slow, aren't you? And. And at which point it, the guard, who's the little bald guy with the beard, turns into Cybra. Yep. Right. And the other guard takes off his helmet, who and it's Psy. And of course, he needed his helmet because he can't change his shape. So they then reveal that the Shredders actually are teleporters. There's the ship in orbit with the TARDIS. That blue box, is that yours? Yeah. And they, when they realize that, they beam back down and have been impersonating guards and playing mind games with the uh, with the the teller and so forth. Right. Uh, and then in the once in the private vault, that's when uh, Carabraxas, you know, fires "quote unquote" Del Fox. Uh, the the doctor realizes that the elderly Carabraxas, the you know, at the end of her life, called him in the future after she was full of regret, and so. Uh, he gives her his number to call him, which is I, I, kind of awkward. It, it's interesting that he grabs the paper and he turns away from the camera so as he's writing it. So, of course, we can't see what it is. Yep. And then he folds the paper so we, again, can't see what it is. And so it's to presumably save some British person with the, that number from being called constantly by fans. Yeah. But he's written on the on the on the overflap of the folded paper i'm a time traveler and he hands that to to uh, director carabraxos and and tells her to call him and i like that just i'm a time traveler as explanation of why i'm giving you this phone number think about think about the possibilities although Mm -hmm. he's saying uh, she says what are you doing now i'm giving you my number why well i thought we might get you might call me someday Sorry, I thought we were getting along famously. Am I like misreading the signals or something? <laughs> so that was good. The the way he figures out that uh, he's the architect is he figures he realizes he hates the architect. Uh, he's overbearing. He's manipulative. He likes to think he's very clever. Oh, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So so we he have doesn't that. say the last part at yeah. first though. Right. Um, but longtime and- fans, who who does the doctor hate most? Well, in this in New Who, it's the doctor himself. Right. Uh, because of he, all that Gallifrey stuff, even though, I mean, destroying Gallifrey stuff, even though he knows Gall- consciously that Gallifrey is back now. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
the he the thus convinces Caraboxus to evacuate because the the planet is under you know the the solar flare thingy. And yeah, this is like Carrington, the Carrington event, only much, 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 much worse. Right. <laughs> uh, he says it's not a bank heist; it's a rescue mission, and they're rescuing the teller and the, its mate, and we, that's why they have the two extra transmats, and they get them up to the TARDIS. And it's this one of those things that Doctor Who and New Who, especially, he does a lot, which is you take the monster and then you turn it into not a monster. It's it's, yep. it's not a monster after all; it's just misunderstood. It's not a bad thing to do because we often do that with terrestrial animals. Like, oh, the that sharks are evil monsters. Well, they're just sharks. They're just creatures. Dude, sharks are evil monsters. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they they do have Clara hang a lantern on it by saying that thing has killed people. And mm-hmm. the doctor says, well, so might you if everything you loved were in danger, at which point he opens a, a little vault that contains the time tr- the teller's mate. And I'm going, yeah, that doesn't work morally. Right. If someone yeah. is holding your family hostage, you still cannot kill innocent people. Right. Right. Well, and they, they implied at least that basically the teller race fed on the memories and everything that they were eating, you know, that they were pulling from the people, that it was actually was nourishment for them. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why they did it. So maybe drop them on a planet without uh, sentient people and just let them feed on the minds of animals. Yeah, there's a little inconsistency there because the doctor talks about, I mean, if these things are designed to seek out or evolved to seek out and feed on thought, and it's sort of implied that the more intelligent the creature, the richer the feast Mm -hmm. is for them. But then when they leave them on the pristine planet, it's, that doesn't have any intelligent life, the doctor is like, oh, this will be so much better for them because they won't have to deal with all those intense, competing, conflicting thoughts that you find in a human civilization. And I'm going, wait, that's you're saying this will be easier for them because it's not a gorgeous banquet from their perspective? Right. You know, it's like this is this is a juice fast diet for them or something. <laughs> That's true. I, it is a bit I like compared to it, you know, like living in a small town versus New York City. It's a lot quieter, but the food selection's not as good. Mm. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Uh so the, uh, the soup isn't as good. The soup yeah. is a, oh man. So uh they we have a no montage. Soup for you. Yeah, the doctor yeah, exactly. is the soup. <laughs> there you go. The doctor is the soup Nazi. The yeah. soup for you. <laughs> We have a montage uh, to clean things up where we see the doctor setting up the, the heist and all of the different parts and we, we interspersed with stuff going on in the TARDIS, including stopping for Chinese, apparently, with Sabra and Sai, uh, and then ends up dropping them off. And uh, they get back to Clara's apartment, 712 local time, a minute after they left, you know, that sort of thing. And... Uh, She's like, oh, I, you know, you, you made it in time for your date. She's like, oh, I just ate, too. Um, you know, and he says, oh, don't worry. Calories consumed in the TARDIS have no lasting effect. She's like, you're kidding. Of course I'm kidding. I'm, it's a yeah. time machine, not a miracle yeah. worker. <laughs> yeah. That was good. <laughs> that was a good one. That was good. And then uh, the uh, then we get uh, uh, the, the final, we, you know, robbing a bank. Uh, beat that for a date, he says, which is an interesting. To himself. Yeah, and it's interesting. Is he kind of competing with Danny now? He's competing with Danny. Not romantically, I don't think, but it's like, I'm the funner guy. Yes, Uh, which will be uh, taken up a notch in the next episode, the the caretaker, 
where he becomes the custodian at the Coal Hill School, and uh, and that's where he ends up confronting, and Danny gets gets roped into the whole TARDIS thing. This is, it, yeah, the Doctor's kind of like you know that friend that's that gets jealous because you you've got you know someone else you're more interested in. Right. Right. Uh, so, Jimmy, you mentioned earlier that memory worms had shown up before in Doctor Who. I, I forgot to ask, where, yeah, where did this show up before? It's in, I forget if we actually see one, but it's in The Snowman, if I remember correctly, because yes. the Doctor has Strax go get a memory worm to blank someone's memory. Oh, yeah. And Strax forgets to wear the protective gauntlets and thus forgets why he's holding it and yes. and comes back and like doesn't have it. And so it's a moment that's played for comedy before. And then I guess the doctor like helps with the gauntlets to get a memory worm like into a container. Right, right. That was a very, very, very funny sequence. That was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, so any other thoughts on uh, Time Heist? Nothing here. Jimmy? A few things. Um, so as I mentioned, what I'm most interested in in a story is the plot. Uh, second to that would be characterization and dialogue, things like, um, I occasionally will notice background music, but they're way down the list and directing is something I almost never think about, but there are interesting, there's interesting camera usage and scene transition in, in this, especially early on in the episode. And it got my attention. So it's like, oh, okay. Some interesting directing is going on here. So I Mm -hmm. like that. There's a lot of crawling through duct work in this episode. Mm. When they're in the uh, private vault and the doctor is not remembered everything, but has be- been putting things together, he submits himself to the teller to to surface his hidden memories, and he he invites the 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 teller to feast on his former memories. And as they're coming up, he's mentioning things. And there's a nice little bit of self-referential dialogue here. Um, He's talking about the fact he used to wear a scarf, which is an obvious reference to the fourth doctor. Mm -hmm. And he used to wear a bow tie, which he says is a bit embarrassing. And that's a reference. (laughs) That's a reference to the 11th doctor. And that's a nice little bit of, you know, mutual doctor disapproval, which we see a lot. You know, we've seen that all the way from. The t- from uh, the three doctors for the 10th anniversary, where the second doctor enters the third doctor's TARDIS and says, oh, I see you've been doing it up. I don't like it. Yeah. And <laughs> and the first doctor looks at his two successors and says, oh, you're my future selves, a clown and a dandy. Yeah. Um, right. So there, there, go ahead. There was one point when he was doing the self-referential comments, he actually kind of took on a Tom Baker tone and cadence. Uh-huh. I can't remember what he said. But he got just a little bit of where he sounded like Tom Baker saying uh-huh. something. Cool. Yeah, Peter Davison used to do that, did that a lot immediately after his regeneration. He'd impersonate William Hartnell and the, uh, his predecessors as well, briefly. But as he's, as he's talking about his appearance, as the teller is bringing up old memories, he talks about his own appearance. This is the most self-referential part. And he says, I was hoping for minimalism, but I think I came out magician. <laughs> and and yes yeah that's the he he peter capaldi's early look is very reminiscent of a stage magician and i yeah. don't think that was intentional but fans immediately pointed it out <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one. so one last thing to mention um for me um there i've mentioned it before on the channel there is a guy named andy hicks 
who has a YouTube channel called Sycorax Rock. And he makes music videos. He's got like rap battles between different characters from Doctor Who. But he's been working on a project over the last few years called 13 Songs for 13 Doctors. Only now it's become 13-ish songs for 13-ish doctors because now we have the war doctor and we're going to have the 14th and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And what he does is he takes a song that was popular during the run of that doctor and then rewrites the lyrics to fit the doctor he's talking about and makes him makes a video using clips from uh from the episodes of that doctor so uh last time uh at the end of the show we put on one of his songs i got his permission for this mm-hmm. I, but at the end of terminus we put on total eclipse of the celery heart which is which is andy's song for the fifth doctor peter davison so total eclipse of the heart was a popular song at the time uh, mm-hmm. that peter davison's episodes were airing so he rewrote the lyrics you know terminus is doomed and this has gone away and i kind of got the feeling i got dumped for the plague um to fit <laughs> the adventures of that doctor and then made a video as well and the videos are very creative and the songs are awesome. I have he doesn't he hasn't yet done all 13 doctors but he's getting close and I just love these songs. They were popular songs at the time. I mean, I don't know all of them from the air because at a certain point I stopped listening to the radio. But they're they're peppy engaging songs in themselves and then Andy's layered them with Doctor Who which makes them fascinating to me. And so I actually have a playlist on my phone of them and I drive around in the car and listen to them or when I need a break from one of my projects, you know, just to let my mind decompress for a minute, I'll pull up one of his one of his 13 songs videos mm. and watch it. And I really enjoy them. So I wanted to share them with the audience. And so I contacted Andy and I said, could we uh, at the end of, our, of an episode on a particular doctor it, use your song? And that way it would expose them to a broader audience because his channel right now is is not is is not very big and i think he deserve he's so talented i think he deserves more um more more views and more subscribers and so i said you know we could we could put these on so like when we do a fifth doctor episode we'll put on total eclipse of the celery heart and then we'll uh, plug it during the show and include a link to your channel in the show notes so people can go and watch these videos because the song is only part of the experience there's also the video so I would encourage people to, as we work our way through these different songs, um, and they won't be at the end of every episode from here on out, like we've already done Total Eclipse of the Celery Heart. So the next time we do Peter Davison, we won't be doing that again. But we will, as we move through the different doctors, use Andy's songs at the end of the show, just as a little bonus, when we are covering a particular doctor. So today... We have his uh, 11th Doctor song, which is called Obligatory Hamilton Parody. <laughs> and I have never seen Hamilton. I just haven't gotten around to it. I know it's a popular musical, so I'm not familiar with the original song he's basing it on. But we, he's rewritten it to fit the 11th Doctor and the entirety of the 11th Doctor's uh, time. And so uh, take a listen to the song and afterwards go to his channel and watch the video and like and subscribe while you're there. And you meant the twelfth Doctor? I'm the, sorry, twelfth Doctor. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The eleventh Doctor song is 
not a Hamilton parody. Uh, that one is called Come Along Pond. And it's <laughs> I really I, I really like that. I really like all of these. But nice. um, but yeah, so enjoy the 12th Doctor parody song today. And uh, next time, I guess we'll be doing the sixth Doctor. Is that yep. right? Uh, yep. Yes. The so sixth next Doctor. So next time we will be hearing um, his sixth Doctor song. One night on uh, Varos. Varos, yeah, yep. One Gee, night what on song Varos. That is. It's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. One night in Bangkok. Yep. yep. <laughs> Excellent. Back to the eighties. You can tell who's Gen X. These uh, all of us. <laughs> so, pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Uh, all right. So technically, I think I'm a boomer. Oh yeah, I think you are. And, and I'm, I'm like at the tail end of Gen X. I'm, I'm like one of the last years of Gen X. So sure, rub it in. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it still makes me old. (laughs) So let's get to that feedback I mentioned. Uh, We got some nice feedback on our Facebook page from Jim Highland, who writes, uh, I'm in the Air Force. And while recently going through our regs, go Air Force, fly high. Uh, While recently going through our regs for awards and decorations, uh, and he has the uh, Air Force manual number in case anybody wants to 362806. Their I have regs, regulations. Yes, regulations. Uh, I haven't actually. That might be instructions, but yeah, yeah. It, okay. uh, yeah he That's has AF man. M is manual. Yeah, uh, I happen to recognize a few names in the example awards and decorations citations. Uh, they for so these are the examples that are in the manual. Uh, Master Sergeant Rose Tyler for Bronze Star. Uh, Senior Master Sergeant Mickey Smith, Meritorious Service Medal. Master Sergeant Rory Williams, Aerial Achievement Medal. Master Sergeant Amy Pond, Air Force Commendation Medal. Uh, (laughs) And he says, it's good to see that some of our intrepid companions have been recognized for their notable service. Indeed. Yes, very nice. Very nice. (laughs) I was saying I was surprised they weren't uh, uh, characters from from, from Stargate SG-1. uh, Because those were actual Air Force characters. Colonel Samantha Carter. Yeah. Colonel Colonel. Jack O'Neill. Yep, exactly. Specialist. I don't know what Daniel would be. I mean, uh, but you had to, he's not he's he's not he's a civilian, but yeah. Yeah, presumably had, they gave him some kind of title. Background characters like Sergeant. Uh, uh, who's the guy who operates the Siler? Oh, Siler. Well, Siler was he didn't operate the console, but uh, but he was a regular background character. The, oh, yeah. Walter Herman. Right, right. Harriman. Yes. Anyway, so lots of fun. Thank you, Jim, for that. That's a it's <laughs> a lot of fun. So uh, that brings us to the end, and we want to take a moment before we finish to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Robert B., Connor B., Peter V., Michael G., and Jan P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this 12th Doctor story called Time Heist? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when, as we said, we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor story, The Ultimate Foe, which is the end of the televised six doctor stories so that which but the six doctor won't be vanishing from the show because now we're going to be looking at select 
Six Doctor Big Finish ones, including the regeneration story the Six Doctor never got on television. Yes. So stick around for the Six Doctor uh, on that after that. So until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, team not dead. How does an angry, eyebrowed doc with the voice of a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgot plotting the Victorian age dinosaurs and clockwork bots, whatever, go on to be the greatest, greatest doctor, doctor ever? The twelfth doctor, big talker and punk rocker, made his foes cower by showing his eyebrows were aching for a good flower, but fear is a superpower. Billion years he spent punching his way out of a tower, and every Every now and then he'd sit and wonder, am I a good man? You understand, our hero had lots of anger inside. He was asking if hero was only half true, cause Clara was his carer. She cares so he don't have to. Then he asked us humans if we should kill the moon. His plan is hatching soon, Flash armed with just a spoon. He thought he'd solve the problem then, but Clara only fumed. He shouldn't have assumed, now their friendship's clearly doomed. Then his past came to come. And hit him like a boulder Missy's up to mischief with some corpses That is gold But Danny Fink is watching That's the promise of a soldier That's when you spoke so bold When you told her I am just an idiot You know it turns out I'm an idiot I know I've done some things that I regret I'll be kind Just be kind So Danny hit him Surfs, tank surfs, went to Scarrow and met this little squirt in the dirt and Davros and fled, leaving quite a big scar, his pain raw. The Daleks learned mercy, but Davros said nah. Met a bunch of Zygons, the Zygons were seeking human rights. Let Zygons be bygones, am I right? Said a man a sign of shield, said, Doctor, please confess to this doubt. Clara's facing the raven, Sam and her might take a while. You gotta confess to death unless the hybrid is a ruse, a hell of a better. Don't use your words, it's nearly certain that you'll lose. He forgot her, but Clara's fine, she's flying in a diner. Now he's teaching class and Mississippi, but it finds forward fishing. Nardo and Bill, where he can face the monks Ice warriors and punch a couple races See him there on the bridge Spelling out his game plan But in Mondas, they'll make you a new man In Mondas, they'll make you a new man Mondas, they'll make you a new man Mondas, they'll make you a new man Mondas, Bill, don't worry Doctors fighting Cyberman like a kid at recess. 
Another reckless plan falling into pieces An Oscar flower of Bill Nardole and Dennis speaking Each says, we fought with him We died for him We trusted him We all loved him and hey Only one of us shot him There's a million things you might regret But just because